Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is episode 129, and today we're going to continue walking through the Gospel of John and talking about learning pastoral lessons from Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. I ask for direction, wisdom. I thank you for the Lord's Day yesterday. God, I thank you for establishing a day of the week that we recognize at the beginning of the week that the work has been done before we even start anything, that Christ has accomplished the task, that he has obeyed perfectly. And so God, out of that, we want to run out through this week and we want to do all that we do for your glory. Whatever we eat, drink, or do, we want to do for your honor, for your glory. Help us to do that. As we're listening to this, I pray that we'd be encouraged. Uh, The pastors listening in, I pray that we'd be emboldened in our pastoral ministry to be like Jesus, to shepherd like him. And for all the non-pastors listening in, I thank you for a growing audience of non-pastors that are listening and I pray that they would take this and that this would be helpful for them as well. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I hope you're doing well. And I want to invite you, it's March, it's already March, believe it or not, of 2021, and in two months is the intensive. We're only two months away from going to Eminence, Missouri, camping out at Circle B Campground. I've already talked to them, I've already talked to Wendy's Canoe Rental, and we are going to spend three days talking about God and government. We want to shore ourselves up. Last year on this trip, I brought the book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. It actually went into the water with me when Andy and I in our canoe flipped and got pinned against a cliff face and uh, and were pinned under the water for a minute. Fortunately, we popped up out of there and were able to gather our stuff. But my iPad, uh, my Bible, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates was all a mess. In fact, it's somewhere in here right now, but it's all, you know, it's all stuck together, and I still was able to read it, but we're going to be talking about God and government. So crucial to understand sphere sovereignty at this point. Uh, Lane Harrison and I are going to be talking about that, uh, Abraham Kuyper and sphere sovereignty, and, and talking about personal responsibility and authority, uh, self-governance. We're going to be talking about family governance, and then we're, we'll talk church governance and civil governance, and so we, we really want to encourage you. He's actually going to start the sessions off talking about the difference between the French Revolution and the American Revolution. And guys, I'm telling you, it's just going to be great. The cost, you can look on the website and everything. I keep talking about it, but guys, it's just awesome. I want you to come. Uh, it's 175 if you want to sleep in tents, and I've got to change the price. I think it's going to be only uh, 250 if you want to leave it, live in, uh, or sleep in the cabin. You can only sleep in the cabin one night, though. Uh, long story. I'll tell you about it. But would love for you to come and be a part of it. Uh, floating 14 miles on the 5th or the 6th, and then floating 8 miles on the 7th. And so it's May 5th to the 7th. I want you guys to come, check it out, put it on your calendar. Uh, hopefully you can you got a book budget or a conference budget or something like that, and you can come and be a part of it. So there's the plug. All right. Shepherding like Jesus. All right. In John chapter 3, we get the story of Nicodemus. And what, what we're doing, if you're new with us, is walking through the Gospel of John, and we're trying to shatter the notion that there's somehow a difference between the way Jesus is and shepherds and pastors, and the way pastors are supposed to shepherd according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And the paradox that we're trying to piece together here, and then I guess the, the thing we're trying to shatter is that somehow you can quarrel and fight without being quarreling or quarrelsome. Okay, You can be gentle, you can be the lamb, and you can be the lion. And in pastoral ministry, it requires both. And today, when we're breaking down what's happening in the church and in society, 
there is a chasm that continues to grow wider and wider of pastors and of churches who are looking at each other, and one is saying, you're compromising, the other saying, you're mean. And so when we look at Jesus, I think Jesus really clears some things up about how to pastor. And if we're going to pastor like Jesus, then we're going to pastor like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 5. We're just going to shepherd like that, or Acts chapter 20 as well, as we look at these different pastoral pictures in the Gospels, or excuse me, in the New Testament. All right, John 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees. First, let's clear something up. I'm sorry, J.D. Greer. I've got to do this just because I feel like this is such bottom shelf exegesis. Um, Christians are not Pharisees and can never be Pharisees. A Pharisee, by definition, is not a Christian. And any time we, we call legalistic Christians a Pharisee, we are throwing our brothers and sisters under the bus. That's what J.D. Greer did last week. It, it is a horrendous thing. It's slanderous. And it is, uh, it's not helpful at all because a legalistic Christian is our brother. They're not a Pharisee. A Pharisee rejected Christ, were sons of the devil. And when we call, call brothers and sisters in Christ sons of the devil, we're going against what 1 John is all about. We are not loving our brothers at all. And that's a marker of being a Christian, love for the brothers. And J.D. Greer wrote a book on 1 uh, John, by the way. So if we don't love the brothers, if we fail to love the brothers, if we're calling them Pharisees all the time, and J.D. Greer seems to think that the Pharisees had doctrinal precision, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so I just wanted to clear that up, okay? So Jesus was willing to come and talk to the Pharisees, but I want you to notice a few things about this discussion because Jesus controlled the conversation. He didn't listen and then come closer to the Pharisees. He required the Pharisees to listen to him. He required Nicodemus to listen to him and come to him as he laid the gospel out. He had a very specific plan, and so should we, by the way, when we're talking with people. Okay? So notice this. Jesus talks to Nicodemus. And then in verse 3, we see that Jesus takes the discussion where he wants to take the discussion. He takes the reins. Now we see this because in verse 2, Nicodemus comes and says, Rabbi, we know you have come from uh, God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, Jesus doesn't engage that at all. All right? He, he doesn't engage that discussion. He doesn't take it the way Nicodemus wants it to go. Because in verse 3, he interjects this thought, and he's okay with confusing Nicodemus. Now if we just pull this conversation into a modern narrative, and we just like put this on YouTube, we would say, man, Jesus, okay, uh, and, and we kind of put a different name to it. It's not Jesus and Nicodemus. It's, you know, like Bob and Larry or something like that. You know, baby boomer names. We put that up on YouTube. Bob and Larry having this discussion. We would say, you know, if Jesus is the Bob character, hey, man, be a little bit more understanding. Like, engage him where he is. Meet him where he's at. You know, come on. Jesus doesn't do that. Okay, this is the category of thing that we would say today, that's unwise. The certain crowd would say, man, you're, you're actually condescending when we get to verse 10. You're condescending of Nicodemus' intelligence. You're making it hard for him to enter the kingdom. And yet Jesus doesn't care. He controls the conversation. He demands Nicodemus come his way. He doesn't come to Nicodemus. Now, of course, to become a Christian, we, you know, Jesus has to come near. He has to save us. He's the initiator. But he doesn't come here in the sense that he's becoming like Nicodemus. Nicodemus has to come to Jesus on Jesus' terms. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's a curveball. You must be born again. Now Nicodemus is all confused in this discussion. 
I mean, Nicodemus could have kind of just wiped his hands, walked away, confused, and, hey, listen, I'm just looking for the kingdom of God. I think I see it in all these miracles that you're doing. And then Jesus says, you must be born again. So they go through the whole issue of you know, Nicodemus saying, how can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? I can't do that. And Jesus said in verse 10, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things. Now, for a moment, just pause. Okay, let's take Jesus as he is. Doesn't that seem condescending? I mean, it's like an insult, as we just stated, to where Nicodemus is. Nicodemus has been a studier his entire life. I mean, he's been in the books. And Jesus says to him, you are a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things? Friends, this is the opposite of modern evangelistic principles. I mean, Jesus takes control of the conversation. He leads the conversation. It's going to go in the direction that he wants it to go. And he knows where he's taking it. He knows where he's taking Nicodemus. And he knows where Nicodemus is going to be in John 19. Jesus still, in his full humanity, is fully divine. And I don't know all the complexities to the hypostatic union. That's It's a really confusing thing. In fact, it's one of the most, I mean, it's the deep end of Christian theology. The two natures in one. In John you know, 19, we find out that most likely, you know, Nicodemus was involved in the burial. And most likely, Nicodemus trusted in Christ. But Jesus has no problem whatsoever, you know, coming to Nicodemus and saying, hey, listen, how do you not understand this? How do you not see this? You're a teacher in Israel. You're supposed to know these things. And then when Jesus begins to speak, he takes him through the gospel. He takes Nicodemus through the gospel. And then we get the famous John 3.16 passage. And then after John 3.16, he tells him, uh, this is the judgment that light is coming to the darkness and that men have loved darkness rather than light. Their deeds were evil. And he tells Nicodemus that people have loved darkness. Now, keep in mind, you know, there's all these metaphors that are playing on through here. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Okay, he came by night. And he said, everyone who loves the evil uh, hates the light and does not come to the light for the fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now, Nicodemus, we find out in John chapter 1, Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus' deeds, or excuse me, Nicodemus' deeds are being exposed as he comes to Jesus by night, and Jesus is the light. There's just so many fascinating things that happen in, in John chapter 3. But all this to say, if you're talking with a non-believer, when it comes to no, when talking with a skeptic or an atheist or even an inquiring religious person who comes to you even, asking you questions, our goal is to lead them to the truth, to lead them to the light, to lead them to Jesus. And they may squirm a bit. And we've got to be okay with non-believers squirming a little bit. We cannot be afraid to be misunderstood. Jesus certainly wasn't afraid of being misunderstood. Therefore, we should not be afraid of being misunderstood. If they don't feel loved by you, it doesn't matter. You're loving them. In controlling the conversation and leading them to Christ, leading them to truth... You are loving them. Now, again, you've got to check yourself to make sure that you're not being an er- somebody that's arrogantly just trying to, do, you know, to, to lead the discussion because you're a control freak. But the goal is not talking with them to come closer to them. The goal is not listening to the non-believers so I can associate more with them and understand them more. The whole listening narrative needs to... They're the ones who need to be listening. We don't need to be going around apologizing to the homosexual community, apologizing to skeptics for all that Christians have done. Uh-uh. No. They have been the ones that are opposing the truth. 
They have been the ones that, if anything, we need to apologize for tiptoeing and not offending them more, <laughs> for goodness sake. I get so tired when I hear pastors and churches say that we're just apologizing to the homosexual community because how bad or how wrong we've treated them. That is garbage. The homosexual community need to be apologizing to us. They need to be coming to Christ and repenting of their sins and repenting for slandering and hating the people of God and hating God. <laughs> Stop apologizing to non-Christians about our evangelistic practices. Apologize it for not being more bold and not being more loving to actually offend them. So when they come to you, our goal is not to listen ourselves to them. Our goal is to control the situation and to lead them to Jesus. We want them to come our way. We don't want to come their way. And certainly, because we have the truth, uh, we want to be like Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, we find out that the understanding of those who have rebelled against God, those who have embraced a worship of creation over creator, have been darkened in their understanding. And so because of that, because of the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, when we're talking with a skeptic, it's not that we're intellectually arrogant or proud, but we know because of the truth of God's word that we have to control these discussions. We have to ask them to come in our way for us to take the reins of the discussion and lead them to the truth and then pray that the Holy Spirit of God would do the work of regeneration, that he would grant them repentance and that they would see the truth. Guys, I hope this has been helpful. Uh, would love for your love your response feedback on Instagram, um, listen to the podcast, leave a rating and review. We'd love for you to do that. If you're watching on Gab TV, we'd love your response. Thank you guys so much for coming and listening to the show. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.